Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Considering Refugees and Resettlement. In this third episode, I will consider the lecture provided to my class by Talia Vador, a volunteer with Refugee Action and the Blacksburg Refugee Partnership. Talia often referenced her own connection to the U.S. resettlement of refugees as a child of Syrian refugees and a practicing member of Islam. During her extensive experience with the U.S. refugee system doing things like helping to start a new program for refugee assistance during her undergraduate work, I began considering how much of the hardship and work falls on the refugee population themselves, as well as first-generation Americans. Her remarkably open conversation with us about the ripple effects of what has been widely referred to as the, quote, Muslim ban, detailed how her mother, a resident of the country for decades, would not have been allowed to return to the U.S. if she had visited her home country while the immigration ban was in effect. Immigration affects everyone in a nation-state. Refugees often providing an enriched community and hardworking employees, but the immense amount of work behind immigration often falls on the individuals themselves. Talia is one example of this as someone who spends large amounts of time working with resettled individuals, but she is by no means the only person who comes from a family that needed help but could not get it. These considerations reminded me of an issue that came up during our viewing of the documentary This Is Home, when one of the recently arrived men did not make it to work one day because his transportation there fell through. The IRC holds tightly to rigorous guidelines around refugees and employment, but without the many skills that people born and raised in America take for granted, the responsibility fell on him to make it to a job for which he was overqualified, using resources that he had only the beginning understanding of, if any understanding at all. People like Talia, who have a close connection to refugee resettlement, are the ones who volunteer and work in the resettlement sector to help newcomers navigate a different culture that is programmed in only one language and in which help comes from those who do not understand a refugee's needs. This is how those like Talia and her friends quickly become burnt out or weighed down. There are dozens of qualifications and life skills needed by refugees and asylees, but very few opportunities for them to receive assistance. For example, refugees who have just set foot in the U.S. are faced with legal proceedings that will go on for years. Navigating those proceedings without help is quite literally impossible. So refugees who have been long-term residents, their children, or others with close connections to the needs of refugees rise to help. Often, the very people volunteering still need assistance in some ways themselves, or who are trying to build their own lives, such as international students. A plethora of civil society organizations exist to provide help, but they are almost all specifically oriented services that specialize in one facet of resettlement. The place where a refugee goes to attend ESL classes, for example, is not the same place where they can find childcare while both parents work. Nor is it where they can find legal help or collect donated necessities or even have someone explain an unfamiliar term on a piece of paperwork. All of this got me thinking about how even navigating the sea of available organizations would be impossible without help. 
Many refugees who are not connected with someone like those I mentioned previously may never find out that there is a place to take a cultural immersion class or a place where they can practice interview skills because the things that everyday English speakers take for granted, like searching the internet, are still foreign to immigrants. U.S.-born citizens, people who use things every day to ease their lives or navigate the world, are not always or even often the ones who help new families or individuals. What does it mean that the system we have in place to help those most in need relies on those who are barely out of the woods in terms of need themselves? How does this interact with the idea I've heard all my life about doing the right thing? So much of the world is divided into categories and then subcategories and then individual points. The DMV, a place I personally loathe, can help me with all of the legalities of driving, but they do not provide vehicle service or state inspections. Something like that feels intuitive to longtime U.S. residents, but only because our parents or other guardians taught us. If my car should break down on I-81, a distinct possibility, when I call for a tow truck, they come and collect my vehicle. They do not say I have to get my car off the side of the road and to a garage on my own. Many people who defend the current resettlement system, or who advocate for even more restrictions and less resources, hold that immigrants are also not responsible for getting their analogy car off the side of the road, without realizing that many of the people who currently help refugees are the people who were in need themselves not too long ago. To continue with my analogy, that would be something akin to a person whose car has broken down on I-81 last week to help me because they have experience with the death-defying feats it takes to successfully transmit a non-functioning vehicle. Yes, they went through it, but they should not be responsible for helping me with a broken system. This brings us back around to another group that often helps new refugees, their children or family members. Children, for their part, are often the people in the household with the most breadth of the English language. Other family members are people who may have been resettled here some time ago. The burden falling to these types of people, children and recently situated adults, is at the very least uncharitable. The federal government is responsible for where refugees are sent and provides funding to some of the resettlement organizations, and state governments are responsible for their sanctioned resources, but one or both of them could improve the system enough to ensure that responsibility does not prey on the most vulnerable people in this country. Talia detailed some of the ways that the system could be improved, starting with the 19-step program that is both rife with complexity and void of consistent help. Private organizations that have severe funding problems need to be provided with more money to have more staff and available assistance. To add to that, I think that private organizations need to be streamlined rather than scattering specific goals amongst themselves until needy individuals drown in the lack of clarity. Immigrants, economic or refuge-based, all come to this country with the goal of giving back, or at least of being able to support themselves and their families. The practice of charging them to file paperwork, usually involving multiple fees with multiple departments, 
is taking advantage of our most vulnerable. People like Talia can offer their time and experience to help, and private organizations can specialize in one place or another, but requiring both that they take the first job they are offered, usually at minimum wage, and that they pay hundreds of dollars to legitimize themselves is counterintuitive, if our governing systems truly want refugees to support themselves rather than rely on government funds. Those who volunteer for refugee assistance jobs who garner their experience through their personal immigration journey also must have sources of income. They are not paid for their time with immigrants, and they are definitely not all independently wealthy. Talia is a graduate student who works a job and provides her time with her organizations when she can. Money has to be available for people somewhere, either through employment or government funding. Therefore, more federal and state dollars need to be funneled into the refugee programs to pay for employees and to help better balance refugee families so that they can one day live the way that they want to, on their own feet.